now you'll be singing that song the rest of the day. <laughs> right? I go around all the time singing that song. But Mr. Rogers opened his show every week with that song. And in doing so, he was making a statement, really. He was making a statement about his mission. Uh, his mission being, love your neighbor. You remember we talked about it last week, and we introduced our series for this month. And, and it is, we're calling it, Who Won't You Be My Neighbor? That was his invitation. We saw that Fred Rogers, in his mind, had a mission in life, and it was, love your neighbor. He was extravagant in his love especially for children and trying to bring children to the place of teaching them what it meant to be a neighbor. So he begins this to show with this song saying, won't you be my neighbor? Essentially inviting everyone to be his neighbor. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that to be a little bit dangerous or at least a little bit risky. I mean, after all, think that through just a minute how far do we, t I mean, all of us, most of us in the building, particularly those of us who call ourselves Christians, and maybe even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, probably most of us are okay with that statement that Jesus made when he said, love your neighbor. Okay, we're good with that. But just how far do we take that? That's another story. Have you noticed there's always a divide in all of our lives between us and them. You know what I mean? Us and them. That is, us, those who are like me, look like me, think like me, act like me, and them, those who don't particularly look like me, think like me, or act like me. There's always the us and them. Everyone is a hero in his own story. I heard that comment this week, and I thought, that is so true. That's why you have two people that see the same event but have two totally different perspectives. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever been there where you've seen somebody talk to someone, and they're describing an event or what happened, and they're two different? You're like, wait a minute, both of you can't be right. But in their eyes, both are right. And guess who's the hero in the story? It's always going to be me. I'm never going to let the other guy be the hero and me be the villain. No, I'm going to be the hero of the story. Why? Because I like us and I want us to win, not them. There's always been a divide. There's, in fact, I don't know about you, but in, in my lifetime, I was thinking about this week, in my lifetime, I can't recall a time when our nation was any more divided than it is today. There's still some really ring going on here, guys. I need to I just take this off. Um, yeah, I've never seen a time when our nation was as divided as it is today. And the division is between us and them. Now, I don't know who us is for you, right? I don't know who us is. We have the us's and them's. We have the Dems versus the Repubs. We have the liberals versus the conservatives. You know, we, we have us versus them. But consider this, if you are an us for you, you are somebody else's them, <laughs> right? You got to always remember that and keep that in mind. It's always us, them, and we're always right. Whatever side you're on, conservative, liberal, repub, dem, I'm always going to be right. And we've never seen that any more than just this week. We have different ideas about what we see, how we respond, how we interpret it, even how to fix it. So we got this divide. But by the way, if it just stopped at politics, 
life would be much easier. But it, it doesn't stop just with politics. I mean, we got us and them in every kind. We even got us and them in sports, right? I mean, you got Gators and Seminoles, right? You, 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 got, the, you got the Cowboys and the Rams, right? I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. It, it, you got black, white, brown versus red. You, you, you got educated versus uneducated. Social elite versus socially non-elite. You've got all of these categories and it all breaks down. And every one of us in the room, as much as I hate to say this and really confess it about myself, every one of us in the room has an us and them in some capacity. So here's my question. You knew this was coming, didn't you? How far do I have to take this love your neighbor thing? Am I saying that we have to love them, whoever them is? I'm okay with loving us. Now, are y'all okay with this statement? I've found, for me, probably not you, but for me, some people are easier to love than others. Come on, get your church face off and get real. Some people are just easier to love than others. The ones who are easier to love typically, typically, not always, but typically, are the ones who are like me, who are one of us, regardless of what that us is. I know I created some tension by all those illustrations because, man, we all fall into some of those. How far do we take this thing, this us? Do I have to love the thems? Well, I want us to understand that the real question that we're plagued with as we continue in this series, we talked last week about being a neighbor and loving your neighbor, but the real question comes to this. Who is my neighbor? How, we love our neighbor, but who is my neighbor? Is it just the person who lives across the street? Is it just the person who lives across the field? I mean, I mean, do you have a five-mile radius that defines your neighborhood? Maybe it's the people at work. Maybe it's the people at school. Who is your neighborhood? Who is my neighbor? And how far do I have to take this neighbor thing, particularly the love your neighbor part? That's really uncomfortable to look at this. But frankly, and fortunately, Jesus gave us a very clear answer we don't have to guess we don't have to leave it to interpretation we don't have to hope we're right on this one he makes it very clear and to make it clear he told a story now all of us like stories and or at least i do i love a good story and this story is incredible because one thing it it it, it creates a tension the tension is not what we expect and how it's solved is far from what we expect but the important thing is we learn a critical, valuable truth from the story. Now, I bet most of you have heard this story. Maybe not everybody, but most of you have heard this story. Uh, or at least in some way are familiar with it. I'm going to read from Luke's Gospel, and that's one of the places that it's found. Luke's Gospel, I want to read from chapter 10. If you have a Bible and want to follow around, you can. It'll be up on the screen in just a moment, so you can follow there if you'd rather, or maybe on your device, whatever, your phone, tablet, wherever you have it. Um, but I want to follow along and tell you this story and show you how Jesus answers a critical, critical question. Who's my neighbor and how far? 
do I take this whole thing? It begins in verse number 25, and I'm starting there because we need to set the context of the story in order for it to make sense. It says, then an expert in the law stood up to test him. So what's that mean? An expert in the law stood up to test him. Jesus is teaching, and a crowd is gathered together. Now, there are all kind of people in the crowd. In fact, whenever Jesus teaches, there is a, such diversity in the crowd. I think sometimes we miss that. They're in the crowd, there's some people who are so excited about who he is and following him, and there are some people who can't stand him. There are some people who want to see him succeed, and there are some people who want to see him fall. There are some people who are very educated, and there are some people who are not educated whatsoever. There are some people who are very wealthy, and there are some people who are very poor. There's a diverse crowd when Jesus gathers together. But he says in this crowd, on this particular day, there was an expert in the law. Now, the law it's talking about there is the Hebrew law, the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, Torah. It means in Hebrew, instruction. And it was considered by the Jews what we live by. This is the code. This is the requirement. This is how we're to live. It was given to them when they came into, out of the promised land or out of the wilderness and about to enter into the promised land. And God said to them, if you're going to be a nation, you've got to have certain requirements, codes, restrictions. In other words, you've got to know how to get along together. Why? Because you're going to have some us's and them's. <laughs> And so you need to know how to get along. And so he gave them this code. He gave them this law, this Torah, to live by. So there's an expert in the law. He knew the Torah forward and backwards. And he's going to test Jesus. Now that tells us a little bit about his motivation, but I don't want to be too negative to the guy because the problem really is not his motivation. The real issue is his question and the answer that Jesus gave him. So an expert in the law stood up to test him. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what's interesting is Jesus is going to take that statement and totally turn it to answer another question because of his wisdom. And immediately there's some conflict because Jesus has been teaching the people that salvation, eternal life, does not come from the, from the keeping of requirements but rather by a relationship with God. It was a new thought. It's a new idea. And so he's challenging that. So look what Jesus says in the next verse. He asked him a question. By the way, all good teachers do that, don't you? Didn't you just despise it when your mama did that to you? You ask her a question, she turns it around. You know what I'm saying? Y'all didn't ever have that happen. Here's what my mom would say, and this is going to date me a little bit, and, and some of you guys will. When I'd ask her, what does that mean? She said, go look in the dictionary. Any of you white hairs remember that? Now we just say, go Google it, right? <clears throat> Google it. Google. Greatest, maybe the greatest invention ever because it answers all questions. So it says, I, I'm going to ask you a question. Here's this question. What's written in the law? You're the expert in the law. You're the expert when it comes to this code. What does it say? How do you read it, he says. In other words, how do you interpret it? What's your thought? And then the man answered, verse 27, Well, the law says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now, he immediately did what any good Hebrew would do. He said the greatest commandment, the way to inherit eternal life is the Shema. Shema, which literally in Hebrew means to hear. And, and it's taken from the first of that phrase, Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he added, and your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> oh, and your neighbor as yourself. Do you understand? Do you see how Jesus suddenly elevates this thing of loving our neighbor? Boy, he elevates this. He, presses, presses, he raises the bar. He doesn't lower the bar at all. He raises the bar and says, you talk about something important. Second only to loving God is to love people. It starts with your neighbor. <clears> That's <throat> where it starts. And so Jesus responded to him, next verse, you've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. <laughs> now watch this. But... This guy is not satisfied. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> so I, don't, I get it. We love God. We love our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? You know what he's really asking? How far do I have to take this? Because in the Jewish mind, in, in Jewish culture, and in the Jewish mind, and this man was very Jewish, to the Jewish mind... My neighbor are the Jews. I treat the Jews as neighbors. I treat the Jews with kindness. I treat the Jews as family. I treat the Jews as a brother. I treat the Jews well. I don't despise. I don't reject. I, I don't mistreat the Jews. But the Gentiles, that is anyone who's not a Jew, now that's a whole different story. They're not my, they're not my neighbor. And I can do whatever I want to there. Whoa, 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 whoa. So what do we have? We have us. And them us being the Jews them being the Gentiles everybody else because the Jews are God's chosen people I see loving them I get it they're my neighbors but the Gentiles who is my neighbor how far do I have to take this thing so I love this story because it answers the same tension that we have how far do we have to take this Thing. How far do we have to take this loving our neighbor stuff? I can, I'm okay. I'm okay with loving us, even though us disappoints me every now and then. I don't know about this loving them part. Think about who the them is for you. I don't know. How do we love somebody that flies a plane into the trade center, the World Trade Center? How far do we take this thing? So Jesus answers this question very clearly, but he answers in a story. Here it is. I love it. Jesus took the question, verse 30, and he said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You're already getting familiar, aren't you? Some of you know it. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Even if you don't know the story of the Good Samaritan, you know of a hospital named the Good Samaritan Hospital or the Samaritan Hospital or Samaritans with Hope or something. And you're like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? It has to do with this story. So let me tell the story to you. Let's just unpack it a little bit as we go, can we? He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Now, here's the thing. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's an interesting road. I've been on it many, many times. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was and is 15 to 20 miles. Anywhere in that neighborhood, probably 18 in the middle, is pretty close. It's a treacherous climb. It drops, watch this, 
Think about it. It drops in those 15 miles. Let's just say 15 in the middle and or 18. Let's in that 18 miles, it goes from 2,500 feet above sea level to 1,300 feet below sea level. Now that's quite a drop in just those little miles. It's also barren desert, so it's rocky. It's arid. There's there's rock. I, I've seen it. There's rocks. There's caves all around. Now, in, in that day, it might not have even been a road. It may have just been like a path winding through long enough for somebody to travel. Right? They didn't have cars, and, and so there's this rocky path that that has this huge huge elevation change. So it was a prime place for robbers to hide. They could hide in the cracks. They could hide in the crevices. It was a terribly dangerous place. And so one day, a man, a Jew, is going down from Jerusalem, making this trip to Jericho. And sure enough, he falls among thieves. They take all of his clothes. Why? Because clothes were expensive. They could resell the clothes. They could make the money. He, he, they take everything he has. They beat him up. They left him for dead. Now, you got the picture? So here's this Jew laying along the side of the road somewhere between Jerusalem and Jericho left to die. He's looking for help. He needs help. He can't make it himself. He's got to have somebody to come along to be a helper. Well, watch what happens in this story. It says in verse 31, a priest happened to be good. Now, notice he's going to introduce several characters to us. The first one is a priest. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You're like, what? If anybody's going to help, it's going to be the priest. <laughs> well, it's because you don't maybe understand that priests are human too. Pastors are human too, right? And we don't have a corner on just per being perfect. And, and so this priest comes by, and he looks at the man. He sees the man, but he passes on the other side. Now, why would he do that? I don't know. Some suggested maybe he was worried about being ceremonially unclean because they had certain of these laws. You know, remember the law we were talking about? Certain of those laws forbade a priest to touch anything dead. What if the man was dead? He touched him. He would be undefiled and unclean and unable to do the work that he's supposed to do in the temple. That's terribly convicting because sometimes, what do we do? We go right past people who need help because we are about our religious activity. Hmm. I better move on from that subject pretty quickly. Some believe that maybe the priest just believed the robbers were still in the area. Well, that makes sense to me. Why would you want to go around there if the robbers were still around? They'd, certainly if they got this man, they would get the priest with all of his priestly garments and goods. And so for whatever reason, the priest doesn't offer help. Now remember, this man is looking for a helper. Doesn't find help. Look at the next verse. We get another character. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the same place, or at the place, and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now what is a Levite? A Levite, maybe in rank of hierarchy, was a little below a priest, but he was still upper echelon of the religious elite of the day. And once again... The, most, the second most religious guy in the crowd comes by. He sees the man who needs help, who's calling for help, and he says, uh, I think I'll go on this side of the road, maybe for the same reasons. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he doesn't help. Maybe he doesn't want to get involved. What if I get over there? What if he's alive and he's dying? What am I going to do then? Am I going to pick him up? Am I going to have to bandage him up? Am I going to have to... I don't know if I ought to get involved. Maybe he didn't have time. 
Maybe he didn't have enough compassion. I don't know. Maybe he had the compassion. He just didn't want to get involved. I don't, I don't know. Why do we not help? Is it because we don't have time? Is it because we don't want to get involved? One thing's going to lead to another, and it's going to lead to another. How far does this love your neighbor thing go? That's the whole point of the question. But now we're introduced to a third person. The next verse says, But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he, had saw, when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. <laughs> now there's our man. There's the hero of this story, the Samaritan. He says, same man looks at the same situation, isn't concerned about the same things. Or if he is, it doesn't stop him. He goes to the man, he bandages him up, he nurses his wounds. That's what the wine and the oil is all about. He takes care of the man, he puts him on his donkey, takes him back up to the inn, pays for his stay there, and then says, when I come back, if there's any other expenses, I'll take care of. He's our hero. Now, let me tell you what's incredible about this story, this Samaritan. The Samaritan is a them. He's a them. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Samaritans were hated by the Jews. It goes all the way back to 722 B.C. when the Assyrians took, captured Israel and took many of its people into captivity and then when they had the Israelis, the Jews in their place, they brought in people from other nations and they began to mix and mingle. The other people brought their foreign gods with them and some of those Israelites, some of those Jews began to worship the foreign gods. And then even worse, they intermarried. Now why was that bad? That was bad because of the law. Remember the law? The law said that they were not to mix. Why? Because this Messiah was going to come from this perfect breed and so... Oh, heaven above. And so, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And of all the fays that are out there, the Gentile fays, Samaritans are worst of all. Now, do you think it was by accident that Jesus used a Samaritan in this story? I think it was very intentional because he's going to make a point. Remember what the question is? The question is, just how far do I have to go? Who is my neighbor? Now, look at Jesus' conclusion. He says, verse 35, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? The man responded, the one who showed mercy to him. One commentator I read said he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Couldn't even bring himself to say that. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now, why is this story so incredible? 
because he answers the question and settles the tension of who is my neighbor. In telling the story, he said, your neighbor is not just us. It's also them. And if you want to know how far you take this, you can't stop with us. You have to include them. <laughs> okay, I said it. You know how much I've prayed over that statement in the past week? You know how much I've labored over that statement in the last week? Not because I have any question about the reality or the truth of it, but because I know that if you really hear that, it's going to sting. Because all of us have some trouble loving them. The us, we can love pretty easily as long as they just stay within themselves. But them, I have to love them too. Jesus told this story to show them a them and to say, here is the real neighbor. What did he do? He was the one who helped. Now, this is where this series kind of begins to create some real tension in the room, right? I mean, I told you the story last week about my neighbor and how he came and pulled my tractor out of the hole and how that was a wonderful thing, and I was so glad to have him as a neighbor, and that was wonderful, and I can easily love him, but what about the neighbor who's not so kind and generous? What about the neighbor? Let's just get real. What about the neighbor who is different than me, who thinks differently, believes differently, acts differently? What about the neighbor who has different values than me? Do I, what, 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 how do I handle that? Surely there's a cutoff point to this love stuff. I, I might have been able to answer yes had Jesus not told this story. But this story kind of blows that out of the water because it was a Samaritan who helped him. I'm afraid sometimes when we've heard this story in the past, we've just acknowledged the fact that somebody was in need and somebody helped. But please don't miss the very clear point that Jesus was making. And that is that this was them. This was a they who helped. When asked how far do we take it, I think he's saying there is no limitation and there is no end. Now, does that mean that we become passive runovers? No. Does that mean we allow people to trample on our feet or trample on, our, on us as, rug, as doormats? No, that's not what he's saying at all. It's not what he's saying at all. And, and we're going to address that hopefully in the next couple of, of weeks as we finish out this series. But for now, I want you to see that Jesus says something very important about your neighbor your neighbor is the one who is looking for needs help. So let me come back to Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers did an interview. You can see it on YouTube, by the way, and I started to bring it up, but then I thought, nah, I'm not going to do that. But Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers did an interview on television. And on, on the interview, he said something very, very interesting. He was talking about... Uh, about being a child. He was talking about the fear that comes in childhood. He was talking about his mother. And look what he said. He said, when I was a boy and would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. 
Isn't that cool? I know that's kind of simple. Look for the helpers. When you're scared, when you're in trouble, when you're laying along the side of the road half dead, when you're in a predicament, when you need a friend, when you need a neighbor, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. Now that is driven home, that truth is driven home by the story we just read. The very least, if you'd have asked this man before any of this incident happened, suppose you're going down to Jericho and you fall among thieves, and suppose they beat you and leave you for half dead, and you got three people who can help you, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Who do you think is most likely to help? I don't know who he would have chosen first, but I know who he said last. Not the Samaritan. They don't like us. So what's the takeaway? What, what do I want us to take away from this? And this is huge. What, what do I take away? This is what I've been taking away this week. And this is something that I have just dwelt on and thought about over and over and over. But here, to me, is the real takeaway. Be the helper that someone is looking for. You want to be a neighbor? You want to love your neighbor? It doesn't mean you have to hang out on Friday night and go to parties together, all right? It doesn't mean you have to go out to eat, you know. It doesn't mean you have to, to, to go to ball games together. It doesn't mean you have to agree on political philosophies. It doesn't mean you have to agree on educational guidelines. It doesn't mean that, that you have to see eye to eye. It doesn't mean that you are approving of what they believe, their values they hold. But it does mean he, she, they are people that Jesus died for as much as me. See, we forget that sometimes. We forget that he died not only for us, he died for them. Be the helper that someone is looking for. That's my challenge to you this week. Be the helper that someone is looking for. Sometimes it's not nearly as hard as you think. Sometimes it's very easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes it may be getting involved in something you don't really particularly want to get involved with, but sometimes it's as simple as being a friend, even if they are a they. Jesus looked at his men, his followers, and said, you're my friends. We have something to offer, my friends. We have something to offer to people everywhere, and that is friendship with Jesus. And we cannot love them without demonstrating that friendship and without demonstrating the love that is shed abroad in our hearts. Just think about it. I'm not saying that we agree with all values of everybody. That'll never happen. But as an old sage once told me, a pastor once told me, I'll never forget it, it was years ago. He said this. He said, Christians never have the luxury of being unkind. Doesn't mean we have to agree, but we never have the luxury of being unkind. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Pastor, I'm glad you preached that for somebody today, but it's not for me. Now, let me leave you with this, okay? I got two minutes, so I'm going to leave you with it. 
A study was done by the Barna Research Organization. You know what they discovered? They ran a survey of people who professed to be Christians. And they, 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 they structured the questions such that they were trying to discover how many Christians had the attitude of Christ versus the attitude of the Pharisees, those legalistic, religious, um, counter-Christian men in the, old, in, the, in the Scriptures. How many had the attitude of Jesus? How many had the attitude of the Pharisees? And how many of them had the actions, take actions to bear their attitude like Jesus or take actions like the Pharisees? Does that make sense? And they put their findings into four quadrants. One being those who, who had the attitude of Jesus, those who have the attitude of the Pharisees, those who have the attitude and actions of Jesus, those who have the attitude and actions of the Pharisees. I say all that to say this. You may or may not be surprised at what the survey found. The survey found that 51%, 51% of those who professed Christians, when they took the survey, they would have never put themselves here, but as a result of the survey, 51% declared that they had the action and attitude of the Pharisees. 11% demonstrated the action and attitudes of Jesus. The rest fell in between those other two quadrants. No wonder we have a hard time convincing the world that we're different. We're different. Maybe we aren't. But I know we should be. Pray with me, would you? Lord God, thank you for this passage of Scripture, that this story that helps us answer this question, <clears throat> who's my neighbor, how far do I take it? And thank you for the challenge, Lord, to be the helper that someone's looking for. <clears throat> Lord, forgive us where we failed to do that, and forgive us for those moments when we have tended to walk to the other side of the road and ignore someone in need. God, I pray that this week as we go about our lives, as we leave this church gathering on Sunday to be the church on Monday, Lord, would you just remind us often of that particular challenge to be the person that someone needs. Would you just remind us often to be the helper that someone's looking for and to demonstrate the love of Jesus that reaches across all the divides to bring us into one commonality. We need help. We need Jesus and we need each other Help us to remember this week, O oh God, that we are to love our neighbor. And that far surpasses the person who lives next to us. It far surpasses a radius of miles and reaches to people who are in need that we run across. Now, God, I know this is such a large challenge. I know that. But God, would you 
burn this truth into our hearts that we might be more and more like you every day. As you just ponder the truth and think for a moment about what we said this morning, would you let God speak to your heart? I know your tendencies will get mad. Is to going, your tendency will be to get mad at me. <laughs> I can't believe he talked about that. But look at it honestly. God help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.